this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. Reading in verse 23. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Thank you, Missy. You may be seated. Thank you for being in the house today. Uh, I'm in the middle of a series called I Just Want to Be Healed. How many of you would just want to be healed? <laughs> it's been a, a, a difficult subject over the years. I'll, I'll catch you up real quickly to where we've been the last few weeks. Uh, in 1983, I was at Bible school in Dallas, Texas, and I felt in my heart, I heard the phrase, you'll teach my people the Holy Spirit and healing, and I dove headfirst into the Holy Spirit. But healing has always been tricky. Uh, tricky in the sense that you teach the healing of Jesus, but people still die. You pray your heart out for people and you still have to bury children and loved ones and tragedies and diseases. And so over the years pastoring, you know, you just kind of pull back. Like it's such a frustrating topic to teach that Jesus is a healer. But then it's the same week you have to perform a funeral for somebody who's died of cancer or, a, you know, an illness of some sort. And families are crying and praying. And then that genders questions, well, why... Why if we're Christians, why if we pray, why if we have faith, uh, is not Jesus healing us? And so I've just kind of stayed away from it through the years because it just opens a can of worms. Especially if you even say, hey, so-and-so got healed, the natural response is, well, if God healed them, then why not me? What's wrong with me? What have I done wrong? Is God mad at me? And so I decided to just take some time and, and work out with you what I've worked out through the years and this is what I've come to today. In 1970, I was five years old, there came a movement in our nation called the Charismatic Renewal. Basically what that was is that there was a move of God's Spirit sweeping across the United States and people were getting filled with the Spirit and, and experiencing the power of God outside of just church in businesses, homes, hotels, bathrooms. Uh, God was just displaying this awesome power and my mom and dad jumped in that stream and I was raised during uh, what would be called historically as the charismatic renewal. Out of that came another movement called the Word of Faith, uh, the Word of Faith movement. And in the Word of Faith movement came a great uh, teaching on that your faith can basically get anything from God. If you have the right kind of faith, enough faith, and uh, take the Word of God as our sword. It is, it is how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing the Word. 
And in that stream that I grew up in with my parents and we would travel to different conferences and different teachers. There was no YouTube back then, so if you're hungry, you got in the car and drove somewhere. And you listened to teachers teach. And I grew up in a home where faith was very much a part of our life. Now, there was a side of the word of faith that was kind of rather strange because, you know, you would be taught, well, you better not even say you're sick. Don't say you're sick. That gives the devil power over you. So you couldn't even say words like cancer or I have a headache. And you would immediately get rebuked. No, you don't have a headache. That's not your headache. That's the devil's headache. And I'd be like, how can it be the devil's headache? It's my head that's hurting. You know, seemed like if it's his headache, his head would be hurt. No, he's on you. Give it back to him. And so I'd be like, I give this headache back to you. And he never would take it back, right? So, oh, man, take your headache back. I don't like your headache. And uh, so I was raised, to, I did all of that. I would quote scriptures. I would, I would stand on the Bible. I would pray. And then over time, that's a great theology, the power of our faith. But over time, what we started seeing is we didn't see the results like we wanted to see. So the moment you don't see the results, you have to have a reason. Well, you told me to pray, but I didn't get healed. And so we have to come up with more reasons. Well, the reason you didn't get healed, you didn't have enough faith. You need more faith. You have to have great faith, big faith, large faith, not little faith, seed faith, mustard seed faith, 12 reasons why God didn't answer your prayers, five reasons you're still sick. And then we just have all these books that just fill up the walls of why our faith is not really getting the job done. Even though I've been told faith is the answer, it's not the answer because now i got a litany of library books to tell me I didn't have the right kind of faith, I need more faith, I need to quote different, I need to confess more, I have hidden sins, I have bitterness, the devil's coming against me, and i got all these library of books. And so this, this topic of faith that should be so simple has become convoluted now. And we have to answer, well, why did so-and-so die? I thought you said, and it's like, well, here, read this book. Maybe this is why you didn't get it from God. And we just start feeling guilty. And we start feeling, what's wrong with me? And my daddy said, if I did this, I did what my daddy said. I didn't get it, so therefore, I don't know. And so I've wrestled with that, especially as a shepherd pastoring people. I've had to stand in front of parents who are sobbing, who are burying their child but yet I tell them I believe in a God that can raise the dead, but this dead kid's not coming back. I believe in a God that can heal cancer, but I'm sorry we just buried your daddy who died of cancer. And it becomes, it becomes so frustrating, you just leave it alone because it's just too hurtful to really feel like you're swinging for the fences of a Jesus that's a healer, but you're not really getting anywhere. And so... I think the thing that's changed in me during the year of COVID is I started asking myself the difficult question of if the world is running full throttle for their kingdom and agenda, then by God, I want to ramp it up and run full throttle. How many of you believe the world's running full throttle for their agenda? <laughs> they're not slowing down at all, you know, and they're, they're running at it. I, I saw a Kellogg's cereal uh, box the other day. The LGBTQ was advertising on Tony the Tiger. And I'm like, man, if, man, if LGBT is going for Tony the Tiger, I'm going to swing for the fences for God, right? And so it's not that I'm mad. That's what the world does. I'm not angry at that. What, what angers me is that how the world is full throttle, no apology, and Christians have become silent. And, and we don't even speak up. Our faith becomes silent. So what I would like to do this morning is realize that there may be people that you've prayed for that have died. There may be prayers you're praying now you're not getting answered. You're still sick. 
But I don't want to just say, well, I'm not going to talk about Jesus being a healer because there's still sick people in the room. I just want to give it to you as I have worked it out. So here's the first scripture. And this is about as simple as you can make it. It is impossible to please God without faith. Now, that's eight words. And that seems so simple. But anytime we use the word faith, we humans have the great ability to complicate it. What God does is simple. You let us get in charge and we will complicate it. But this says it's impossible to please God without faith. So I'm, I go back to I was 16 years old, passionate for God, as good as you can be at 16, right? And I would get out of high school. I'd go down to my dad's church. I would vacuum and clean for him and I would sing songs and I would worship and I would learn scripture and I was so passionate for Jesus and I prayed a prayer and this is the prayer I prayed I do not encourage anybody to pray it but this was my prayer God I love you Jesus I told you how much I love you I love you with my whole heart you're my God my King all I want you to do is teach me how to live by faith that's all I want God is just to live by faith until I found myself having to live by faith. And I'm like, God, I don't ever want to live by faith again. <laughs> right? Like, it sounds romantic. I just want to live by faith. But what you mean is you don't want to trust yourself. You want to be at the end of yourself. All your resources gone, and I'm your only source of comfort. And I'm like, no, I take that prayer back. <laughs> I, I, I'm really I'm not as spiritual as you think. I literally prayed that. I was going through hell it was after my wife died in a car uh, by a drunk driver. I said to God, I don't ever want to live by faith again. I hate it. There's nothing about it I like. I like life to be easy. I like to be able to figure everything out. I like to know why behind everything. I don't like to be in a place that, that makes my head hurt trying to figure you out. I want to put you in a book and I want to figure you out. I want to box God in and say this is the definition of how he always does it. And then I read this. It's impossible to please God without faith. And my life shifted when God opened it up to me. Because it says this. It's impossible to please God without faith. And here's what shifted in me. All my life I was viewing faith very one-sided as what can I get out of God? I want my faith to get something out of Him so that I will be pleased. And now that's normal. That's humans. I want to use God for my benefit and that's why He gives me faith. So God, I need you to bless my business. God, I need you to fix my marriage. God, I need you to heal my body. God, and I call that faith because I desperately need him to do it for me. And I'm smart enough to know if he doesn't do it, it's probably not going to happen. And so I'm praying those prayers and then I read this, that my faith may be less about the results I want and more about the pleasure he's after. That my life would be pleasing to him. And that my, there's something about my faith that's more about his pleasure than my pleasure. 
And man, I'm telling you, everything shifted when I realized what if faith was not just given to me to get things out of God, but that I could bring Him pleasure. That's why faith was given to me, to bring God pleasure. And so now I'm just like, I just don't understand. you got to help me. I've read books. I've listened to tapes. I've done YouTube trying to figure this thing of faith out. And it's weird because you, you really have to land on, well, they told me they're in faith, but they didn't get healed. This person doesn't even seem to have any faith. They got healed. It almost seems like it's just luck anyway. Because both are crying out to God, but they get it and they don't. And it seems so unfair. And you may even say that. It does seem like sometimes life is unfair. This wife prayed that her husband would be healed and he got it. This wife prayed her husband died. This wife, this husband went to the doctor and got well. This husband didn't go to the doctor and died. This husband went to the doctor and died. This husband didn't go to the doctor and lived. It's like it, nothing makes sense about this God of healing. Now, this is eight words that God wrote down and add thousands of years to it, and now how complicated we've made faith. Oh, you didn't get something out of God? Well, here's why you didn't pray long enough. You need to pray harder. Oh, it's not about praying harder. It's about fasting. You probably need to fast. So fast. Well, I, I fasted. Okay. Well, you probably don't have enough faith. You need more faith. The reason you died, you had little faith. You need great faith. And great faith comes by hearing. So you need to sit down and hear the word. And so I'm hearing the word, but I still don't have faith. I'm going to church, but it's not working. I'm writing checks in the offering. Nothing's happening. I'm praying prayers. I'm desperate. I'm taking communion. I'm doing everything God wants me to do. I'd bloom and like him to show up and help me because I feel like I'm in faith. And it's so complicated today, it's not even fun to talk about it. Because the moment you say, just live by faith, somebody walks out the door and goes, well, I thought I was living by faith. So let's go back to what Missy read, because this is what God began to open up to me to teach Mark about faith. And I'll share with you what I've learned, and hopefully it'll help you. So he got into a boat with his disciples who followed him, verse 24 of Matthew 8. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Don't you love that, Jesus? The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Now ponder this for a minute. The guys in the boat with him are not random strangers. They've left their businesses to be with God. They have been with him several years. They've distributed fish on the hillside when he did a miracle. They've seen dead people raised. The beauty of the guys in the boat is they get the second knowledge from him. Like After he preaches, he goes, come on, boy, let's go in the house and tell you what I really meant. So he's downloading even better knowledge to them than what he's preaching. So the 12 guys in the boat, they've seen miracles. They've walked with him. They've eaten with him. They've slept with him. They've heard his teaching. They got the download of his teaching in private. They've been requested to do things. They've answered their requests. They follow him around. They clean up his mess. When he makes a mess, they've picked up the loaves and fish. They've distributed the loaves and fish. They've cried with him. They've laughed with him. They've ran from trouble with him. And these guys are in a boat in the middle of the storm, rowing their hearts out. And Jesus is snoozing. So they say of only what they could do, God, save us. Don't you even care? We're going to drown. Next verse, mind-blowing. He replied, you of little faith, 
Why are you so afraid? That irritates me. How could you say I'm a person of little faith? I'm in the boat with you. I follow you around. I do whatever you tell me to do. I clean up the fish. I get the boat ready. I'm rowing my guts out so you can sleep. I've listened to your teaching. I give offerings. I've left my family to follow you around to build your kingdom. And you have the audacity to get up from sleep while I'm rowing my guts out to keep us alive. And your first statement should have been, thank you. And you didn't say thank you. You rebuked me of being a person of little faith. Which makes me go, what in God's name is he after then? Because he says this, he stands up and rebukes the waves and then everything in the winds get completely calm except me. I'm not calm, I'm mad now. I'm mad that I did what I was trained to do. In a storm, wake up God. I did what I do. In a storm, trust Jesus. In a storm, cry out to him. In a storm, let him know you're in trouble. In a storm, shake him and get his attention. And then when he stands up, he'll fix everything. But Jesus doesn't stand up and fix everything. He stands up. Mark, little dude of no faith. And I'm sitting there pouring sweat with a paddle in a boat. And he rebukes me? How, how are you even, what are you thinking to say that I have no faith? Don't you tell my wife that because I'm out here following you and she's ticked. So help me understand I've got no faith here. So this bothers me for a long time of why giving all of my effort, following Jesus, knowing about Jesus, listening to his teaching, doing his prayers, watching his miracles, leaving everything I have, and the end result testimony is I have little faith. Because what bothers me about that is that if that's me and I'm down here on earth going, I preach every week, I do Bible reading every day, I put out YouTube videos. I give my money to people that need it. I help people whenever they need it. We feed the poor. I pray for people. I preach the gospel. Oh, P.S., ready to get blown away? I have read the Bible 31 years, nonstop, every day, zero excuse. And God's like, you just still don't have much faith. And I'm like, wait a minute, I go to Believer's Church, I preach every week. That's a good sermon. But you just don't have a lot of faith. Well, wait a minute. God, I pray in tongues every morning. I get up and I do holy yoga. I don't do demon yoga. I do holy yoga. Because you can't do demon yoga. Demons get you. Holy yoga, I guess that means you just pray in tongues while you stretch. I don't know. But God, I'm giving you my morning. I have my morning stretch with you along with coffee. Me and you chatted up. Appreciate the Black Rifle Coffee Mart. But yeah, you have no faith. But I'm, I, gave, I gave money away. I tithe. I go to church. I've read my Bible 31 years straight. Yeah, you still don't have a lot of faith. So, so this is what bothers me. Because it makes me come to these thoughts that I've worked out through my life. Here's the first one. Desperation isn't faith. 
And a lot of people think the more desperate they are, that's a sign of their faith. I'm just desperate. God's got to do something. Get up, Jesus. Just get up. Don't you even care? I'm soaking wet. My back hurts. I didn't even bring a life jacket because I trusted you. Desperation isn't faith. But yet, so many people think if they can be desperate enough, God will throw a pity party and do something for them. So as we see, their incessant rowing is still little faith. And a lot of people, I'm just desperate for God to do something. I've already told Him I'm going to give up Instagram for a month. I've already told God I'm going to get up every morning and read my Bible. I'm going to get up every morning and just pray to Him. I'm not even going to listen to secular music on the way to work. I'm just going to listen to Elevation. I'm going to listen to K-Love Radio. Right? And they feel like out of that desperation, God is going to clap and say, you have such great faith. But desperation isn't faith. Second thing, trying really hard isn't faith. There's a lot of Christians trying hard. Well, I go to church, I read my Bible, I joined a group, I got on a team. Preacher told me if I give 10% of my money, get the devil off my back, I'm doing that. They're trying really hard. I couldn't understand King James, so I got a message Bible. I'm trying, man, I'm just trying. Right? I'm trying really hard. I don't even understand what the preacher says, but I go anyway and do my best to stay awake. I'm trying my best. Doesn't God know what I'm trying to do? I didn't even want to go to church. Got out of bed anyway. It's Memorial Day weekend. I should have went, but I went anyway. Don't God know? That has nothing to do with faith. But people feel like trying hard is a sign to God that they have a lot of faith. But these guys are rowing their guts out, trying hard. And he says, you have little faith. Then I came to this conclusion. Prayer isn't faith. Jesus, don't you care that I'm going to drown? They're having a chit-chat with him. And there's a lot of people that are praying, God, won't you just fix my marriage? Won't you just heal my body? And, and I feel like that's faith. Because why would I talk to a God I can't see if I don't have faith? I mean, that just logically makes sense. To talk to an unseen God because you believe He can fix you should be the classic definition of faith. But prayer isn't faith because if prayer was faith, He would have said to the Pharisees, Oh, ye of great faith. But He said to the Pharisees, You pray all the time, but you're still children of the devil. What? So there's a lot of people that feel like because they get up in the morning and have their morning prayers that they're people of great faith. But just because you pray doesn't make you a great faith person. Does that make sense? Here's what else I've landed on. Knowing about Jesus isn't faith. They knew him. They knew. They're in the boat. They know he's the carpenter's son. And here's how I know they know. Jesus actually asked them a question. What do people think about me? And they answered, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, some even say you're a prophet. 
And then he says, okay, fellas, what do you say about me? And Peter answered, uh, well, you're the son of the living God. So they know him. They know that he is the divine son of God in the flesh. And he still tells them they have little faith. There's a lot of us Christians that know Jesus is God. We know he can answer prayer. We know all the things about him. He was born in Bethlehem. He was the son of a virgin. He lives in heaven. He's coming back on a horse. How cool is that? But that doesn't mean you have faith. So you see how weird it starts getting. Because this is what I thought faith was. Know who he is, pray to him, talk to him. If he doesn't answer, get really desperate and really ask him more. And then the final. Asking Jesus to help me isn't faith. Because they ask him, would you please help us? And he stands up and says, you have little faith. And so... It really bothers me to ask this question, and here it is, and I'm going to try to answer it today. Then what is it? (laughs) If it's not all the stuff I thought it was. I thought my faith was to fast. I thought my faith was prayer. I thought my faith was desperation. I thought my faith was asking Him to help me and fix me and bless me. Give me all the results, and if it's not working, do something else. Try something else. Get real. And then suddenly this faith that is to be come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Now my faith is I'm, not, I'm, I'm weary, I'm overburdened because I'm getting nothing. So with this convoluted thought of faith, I'm going to end here. Anytime I find myself in life with a disastrous thought process of what's going on. Like it's so complex, faith now. Because if I say, you know, hey, by faith you can be well and you don't get well, well, it gets complex. Why? The whys and the whats and the whens and the hows. So here's what I do. I encourage, if you come to Believers You, you would know this. Anytime a subject gets complex, Meaning all of our experiences have muddied the water to the point that it's just hard to give an answer. Because there's so many of us now. There's millions of us that claim faith in God. So we have a lot of different experiences with this God. So what do you do when we have 7 billion people on planet earth who all have varied experiences. Many of them have written books about it to tell us how to have faith, to get what we want out of God. It hurts your head. There's people that believe God kills you. God teaches you with sickness. There's other people that will never do that. Some it's all the devil. Some it's God teaching you lessons. Your head will explode. So what I do is I try to simplify the equation. I try to go mathematics. I try to go to the lowest common denominator to make sense of the equation. Now the lowest common denominator is not 7 billion humans with a different experience all having different religious upbringings. The common denominator is to go all the way back to the lowest common denominator of humanity and it would be Adam and Eve. There are no in-laws, there are no doctors, there are no lawyers, there are no exes, there's nothing. There's a man, a woman, and God. So the lowest common denominator of all this topic of faith would have to begin in the triangle of God, Adam, and Eve. 
Adam the male, Adam the female, and God. And in that triangle, we take away 7 billion different experiences. 7, I mean, different, I studied different religions. We, we take away Taoism and Buddhism and Hinduism and all the isms and Calvinism and Protestant. We take all the isms away. And all of our experiences, and we go back to the lowest common denominator, the root cause of everything that we could try to define, and it will be seen in God, Adam, and Eve. Now, here's what we know. If God makes Adam and Eve, He has to make them come to a place to have faith because it's impossible to please Him without it. Does that make sense? Like God would not create Adam and Eve and then give them no opportunity to have faith because faith is what pleases God. So what we will find in Adam and Eve, because God makes it where they can be a pleasure to Him, we will find the purest definition of faith, of what it really is without our denominational preferences and long before our experiences muddied the water. So let's go back to the book of Genesis. This is how the story goes. God creates man and woman on day six, puts them in a garden, says, reproduce, multiply, take dominion, and I'm going to put you together as a male and a female. However, the way I'm going to teach you faith is I have a rule. Now here's my rule. My rule for you is there is a tree over here called the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that. If you do, you die. All right, we good? All right, have at it. Enjoy the whole planet. So the purest definition of faith is Adam, Eve, and the mind and wisdom of God. Right? He doesn't even give you an option. He didn't even say, if you like it. He just simply said, don't touch that. Don't eat that one. Just don't. Just. So they start. We don't know how long. I'll teach you in the book of Genesis. They could have lived for thousands and thousands of years before they ever ate it. We don't know. We just assume that they did it on day eight. Right? Day six, don't eat the tree. Day seven, oh, rest. Day eight, eat, die, kill us all. We didn't even make it a day. Right? So... They've got the wisdom. All they have to do is listen to the wisdom. And then out of a weird thought, the woman... Why, why, why do you think he, he doesn't want us to eat it? I mean, it doesn't look much different than the others. Do you? Do you think it looks different? Now, he's a man. He's thinking, just leave it alone. He told us not to eat it. There's no reason. Let's just look at all the other stuff we can eat. Let's go camping. She's a woman. Well, I mean, I would like to know why. I mean, there has to be a reason. Why? I mean, it doesn't look bad, does it? And why do you think he wouldn't want us to touch it and eat it? I don't understand. I mean, if it's going to make us be like him, well, how would you know it's going to make us be like him? Honey, I've been talking to a snake. The serpent's been chatting with me. I know all about this. Come up here and let me tell you about it. I just don't understand why God would not let us eat that one. I mean, it looks, it looks good, doesn't it? 
Now, because she's nude, he's not going to tell her no. It's the power of a naked woman. He's over there looking at her like, well, if I want to have children, I better say yes. Right? <laughs> She's standing there buck naked going, well, pop and pops it off. And she's looking at it. He's standing there with her. And she goes, nothing really happened. Mmm. Mmm. Wow. This is delicious. How could he not want us? Oh, this is so much better than all. I'm just bored with all the... Try it. So he, as any man would, because we don't want to sleep outside the garden, <laughs> takes it, and the moment he bites it, all of humanity flips upside down, and in an instant... The rebellion of humankind has permeated the DNA because the moment he eats the fruit and the saliva and the mastication of chewing breaks down the fruit's nutrition and it goes down into the stomach and settles in and then the enzymes of the stomach break it down and begin to distribute it to all the body parts and the heart and the kidneys and the liver. What's happening though is that it's processing the nutrition of rebellion. And in that one moment, we know this. In that one moment when, he, when Adam bit the fruit, we know God is displeased. Yes or no? Yes. I don't think logically we could fight it any other way. The moment Adam bites it, God is displeased. Now, if the moment Adam bites it and steps over the ditch of the fruit and bites the fruit and it comes into the land of displeasure, we now know the definition of faith. Because if faith is to please God, and I bite the fruit and become displeasing to God, then the biting of the fruit is faith. It's the definition of faith. So what is the biting of the fruit the definition of faith? Here it is. Let's read the verses. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? And have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat? The two colored lines are, this is my opinion, are the purest form of the definition of faith. Where are you and who told you? That is faith. Because the moment they stepped over the line, they displeased him. This is the line. Here it is in a thought. Where are you? Location. Who told you? Relation. And now we realize what faith is. Faith is your life being located under the wisdom of God. That is faith. It's to be located relationally under His wisdom. 
So we go back to the guys. I'm in the boat, location. I'm rowing, location. But the thing they lack is what wisdom are you listening to? And the wisdom they are listening to is the storm. The wisdom they are hearing is the fear. So Jesus says, you have little faith. Why? Not because you're not in the boat. They're in the boat. Not because you're not trying real hard. You are. But the reason I said you have little faith is there is a wisdom happening that you've placed your life under beyond my wisdom. So when we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, we realize that faith is nothing more than a life that comes under the wisdom of God. Now when, it, when we define it that way, everything makes sense. That faith isn't me trying, faith is me listening to wisdom. God didn't tell everybody to build a boat. He told Noah. And if you go, well, Noah built a boat, I bet I can. No. The reason Noah could build a boat, God told him to build a boat. Well, Daniel was in a lion's den. I'm just going to run for it. If God would keep Daniel safe, he'll keep me safe. No. You're going to go to the lion's den. They're going to eat you. Because that's stupid. But the reason Daniel went in, he had the wisdom of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they went into the fire and furnace. I'm going to go into fire too, preacher. You're going to burn. The reason they could get through the fire, they had the wisdom of God. We all need to be like King David and slay the giant. No, the reason he could slay the giant, he had a word from the Lord. So because this is true, here's the thought. There's an expectation from God, this is how I would define it, that I place my life under His wisdom and abide there. That is faith. Now the moment we define it this way, it starts making perfect sense for all of us. Tell you why, because here's the next thought. Why? Because 99.9% .9 of the people want to make faith a formula. That's how we want to live life. Tell me what worked for you. If it worked for you, it's got to work for me. Why? Because God's no respecter of persons. And if it worked for one, it'll work for another. Hogwash. He's no respecter of persons, but that doesn't mean we can formulize it and say, when our sister so-and-so went to believers, elders anointed her with oil, she got healed. I went, I got more sick. Because we want to formulize how to get healed. It's not a formula. I know we like it. I want to go to a doctor and go, my back's hurt and tell me what to do. Well, here, you can take this medicine. It'll fix you. I take the medicine. I break out and a rash didn't fix me. Well, that's because statistically most people don't get sick, but you did by that, so we need to try it again. But we want it to work. So when we take faith and try to make it a formula, well, if you want to get healed, you better read your Bible more. Well, if you want to get healed, you better pray more. Well, if you want to get healed, you better repent. Well, if you want to get healed, you need to get sin out of your life. If you want to get healed, you need to lose weight. Well, you see what I'm saying? I mean, we, we, want, to, we want to just package it into simplicity, which becomes complexity. The question is, faith is a human being who finds themselves in the middle of a storm who stops and asks for wisdom. 
And when God gives you the wisdom, faith comes alive. And I can now make it through the storm because I have his wisdom. Mark is in New York, frustrated. God, I just talked to me. And I hear the Lord say, show me the plans and watch what I do. And here it is. But the stupidity behind that would be another preacher. Well, Mark was in New York and God said, show him the plans. And I showed the plans. It's 5.5 million and we went broke. Right? Because if, if, the, if it worked for Mark, it's got to work for me because God wouldn't like Mark more than me. We've missed it. Faith is, I heard the wisdom and I followed it and it doesn't mean it'll work for you. What will work for you and everybody in the room is to hear the wisdom. Well, your marriage was falling apart. What did you do? Because my marriage is falling apart. What did y'all do? Well, let's see. We went to counseling. We paid a buku of money. We drove three hours a week, twice a week. I went through restoration. Uh, that's what we did. And then somebody else would be, Honey, you don't need to do nothing but just pray in the Holy Ghost and anoint his pillow with oil and cast the devil out. <laughs> Who's right? Because it worked for this one. Why wouldn't it work for me? I read the same book. I got nothing. I anointed his pillow with oil and he got mad and asked me to wash it. I don't understand. Because what, we're, what faith is, is a person saying, God, I need wisdom. Now I'll tell you how weird it gets. Robin was diagnosed with breast cancer last year. We go to the doctor, they give the biopsy, it comes back cancer. She does a mastectomy and now they say you have to go to an oncologist. So we go to the oncologist. When we get to the oncologist, we're standing there at the oncologist, and the oncologist says, based on statistics of the kind of cancer you have, we highly recommend that you will do chemo. Man of God I am comes out into the parking garage and says to my wife, we are not doing chemo. We are going to stand on the promises of God. I'm not going to do chemo. I don't believe chemo is the way we should go. We need to stand in faith and believe that you're healed. I didn't say it rude like that. It just preaches better. I was kind of like, honey, I got a thought, you know. <laughs> so I, I did say, I, I calmed myself down because I was so frustrated that they wanted her to do chemo. And I have all these chemos going to kill her. Chemo, 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 chemo. And I said, but I tell you what, I, I, you pray, I'll pray. And she came back and she said, well, honey, I prayed and I believe God, I believe God wants me to do chemo. I have peace about it. My Pentecostal says, how could a healing God want you to go to a doctor and get chemo? Because the real miracle is that God is on an ego trip and wants to heal you without the help of chemo. Because that's what we do. Because it's, it's either go to a doctor because you have no faith, go home and die because you think you're in faith. And neither of them have anything to do with faith. Faith is, what do you want me to do? And my wife said, my heavenly father told me to go do chemo. I said, well, I'm not about to trump that one. So you want to do chemo, this old boy will be in the game with you. She goes and does chemo, Umar, 
an elder here at our house, comes up and says, the Lord spoke to me. I believe so. I trust him. He said, the Lord told me to tell you and Robin, take communion before every chemo treatment. I said, okay. First communion, first treatment, we take communion. And Robin has zero side effects. Zero. We're blown away. I'm like, this is awesome. You ought to read on Google the amount of side effects that come with the chemo she took. So now I'm kind of like, yeah. <laughs> right? Because it doesn't feel like faith to use a doctor. Faith is I want God to get all the glory. I want to stand up and say, God healed my wife and we didn't even use a doctor. And everybody goes, oh, we got a miracle. Because it doesn't feel like a miracle to go, she went to a doctor who cut off her breast and went and got chemo and that's faith. But, but faith is connected to wisdom. And God downloaded that wisdom that she was to go to these doctors and led her the whole way to the best doctors in Atlanta, gave me a beautiful elder that gave me wisdom. Now remember, it's wisdom that is faith. So we go to treatment too. We're late. She's a woman. What do you expect? We're going. We're in the car. All of a sudden, oh my God. You've heard the story. Oh my God. We forgot to take communion. Umar said we need to take communion. That was the wisdom of God to us. Before you do the infusion, take communion. That's God's wisdom. We got to do it. She said, honey, we don't have time. I said, yeah, but we got to take communion. She said, okay, what are we going to do? I said, hang on. I whipped into a QT. I went into a QT, and I got QT wine. Some of you that are alcoholics know what I'm talking about. <laughs> QT wine. It ain't high-class wine, baby. Ain't nothing anointed about it at all. It's 88 cents worth. It's the worst god-awful stuff you'll ever put. But it says Suter Farms on it. So, you know, so I walk up. I know the person at the cash register thinks, what in God's name is this dude doing in the morning in my QT and I got a six-pack because you can't buy one. Not for individual sale. I got a six-pack of Zippy Mart wine. Oh, God, and I had to have bread because Umar said I can't go without communion. I had to buy hot dog buns. I've got Zippy Mart wine and hot dog buns. And I'm thinking how stupid this is. I, I lay them down on the counter, and you can just see the person's mind like, this dude's on meth or something. <laughs> I didn't even have meat to, or ketchup, just hot dog buns, 12 Blooming hot dog buns and I see I know he thinks I'm an alcoholic. Not, you know, I don't know. I come back and oh man, if I could have taken a picture of Robin's face. She looked at me like this. God. How did I marry this redneck? I have married a redneck. I'm gonna take communion with Zippy Martin and hot dog buns. Right? And so sitting there in the parking lot, I think we're at the marathon, I broke the little things, uh, we chugged the bottle of wine, like, ah, I, I, mean, I ate the old stale hot dog bun. Why? Because it was wisdom. Amen. And her second infusion, zero, zero side effects. The third infusion, zero side effects. 
the fourth infusion, the oncologist said, I don't even know why I need to come back for blood work. You're looking perfect. So the beauty, <laughs> the beauty of faith is it feels more spiritual to say I got a miracle with no help at all from a human, only God, than to say I went to one of the best specialists in Atlanta and I had some of the best care in Atlanta and I took communion because the wisdom of God told us to do this and the end result is who blooming cares? I got a healed wife. Because I learned to listen to the wisdom of God. That is faith. A beautiful woman stood up. She's an older woman. She came to me first service. She said, Pastor Mark, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I said, for what? She said, because I too had breast cancer. And God told me that I wasn't to go to a doctor, that I was to trust him. And I got divinely healed. And then she said, your wife said to go to a doctor. She got divinely healed. She said, thank you for just telling us the truth, that the truth of life is just to listen to God. Because if not, every woman needs to avoid doctors or every woman should take chemo when the reality is God knows what we all need to do. And some of us, I can't figure out why my back's not better, why my, why my stomach's not better. I'm asking God, and God's like, yeah, stop asking me and learn to listen to wisdom. Because the reason your blood pressure's high is because you eat like a pig. You don't take care of yourself. Maybe to one person, God says, go on a prayer walk, lose some weight. To another person, fast. To another person, forgive the person you have bitterness in your heart. To another person, he will say, you're lusting. Get rid of the lust. To another person, he says, quit sinning. But in his wisdom, he's leading us all through the fire. In his wisdom, he's leading us to victory. In his wisdom, he's leading us to glory. So that this is the end result of the day. Here's how I define faith. It's my relationship to God's wisdom. It's living it versus knowing it. Faith without works is dead. I have to live it. But I have to do what? Hear His wisdom. There's a lot of people that quote Bible verses but don't really get the wisdom of God. I have to get His wisdom. God, what do you want out of me? So here's the conclusion. Faith is relational. Faith is listening for the wisdom of God in order to abide under the wisdom of God whereby you can experience the power of God. One thing I know about God is He doesn't respect one over another, but what He wants to do is give all of us individual wisdom. Why? Because He doesn't want us to package it. Because the moment we package it, it becomes non-relational. So that when my brother is hit by a drunk driver... My mother and dad have no book of what to do when the doctors tell you your son is a vegetable. Except my mother locks herself in a hotel room and says, I will be back, I'm going to pray. And in that room, her own testimony is this. God, I don't know if my son is going to live or die, but you just tell me what you know and I'll deal with it down here. How powerful. I don't know if my son's going to live or die. You know, you tell me and I'll deal with it. And in that moment, she heard, your son will live. I am in Orlando, Florida, and in that morning, 
I get a scripture that says his eyes will not sleep the sleep of death. I call my mother and say, God gave me this scripture for Gary. His eyes will not sleep the sleep of death. And she said, well, the Lord told me in prayer that he will not die. She walks into the hospital room. The doctor is showing her the, uh, the, the scan of his brain and says, based on the scan, your son is probably going to be a vegetable. He's not going to be able to function. He will live on machines his whole life. And then in a nicest way said to my mother, Miss Evans, you just need to deal with it, correct? Your son is probably going to be a vegetable for the rest of his life. Great. That's natural wisdom. She's got a heavenly wisdom. And the heavenly wisdom was your son will not die. So my mother walks in there to my brother and says to my brother, Gary, you will not die. You will live and fulfill all the days of your life. They take my brother from Fort Payne and they air vacuum him down to Birmingham in the back of a unit of, a, of an ambulance he gets down to Birmingham to a specialist. They wheel him into the specialist. They run another brain scan. They have the brain scan from Fort Payne, the brain scan from Birmingham, and the doctor says to my mother, this is not even the same person. This, this right here is not this right here. I don't know what has happened, but it's not the same thing. I know what happened. God downloaded wisdom in the middle of a storm. Now the problem will be, here's the problem, religion. You did that for June, so I'm going to walk in and go, live. But you have no wisdom of God. You're living off somebody else's wisdom. In the middle of your battle, your marriage is falling apart. Put all the books down and just go, God, give me your wisdom in the matter. Your business is failing. I'm not against reading and education. Get all you can, but there has to come a point where you say, God, give me your wisdom in the matter. I love the fact, you don't know this about my dad's testimony. It's a beautiful testimony. In 2008, he had all of his retirement in the stock market, and he came home and told my mother, he said, I feel like God told me to take all my money out of the stock market. My mother said, well, why would you do that? He said, I don't know. I felt like the Lord told me I need to need to take it all out for right now. He takes all of his retirement out. And the next week, the stock market tanks. And everybody loses retirement. They lose 401ks. Not Paul Paul. He heard the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God said, take your money out of the stock market. And then rather than going, well, I'm a CPA. I know what's best for my money. I, no, he just listened to the wisdom of God. So I leave you with that this morning. What is God's wisdom for you? Your back hurt, maybe his wisdom is lose weight. Your knee hurts, maybe his wisdom is go see a doctor. But if you will ask him, he will give you the wisdom. And whenever he downloads wisdom, it releases power. And you will walk free and come out on the other side victorious. That's the best I can do with faith. <laughs> <That helps you>. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a prayer. We're going to take communion now. Here's a prayer. And I've tried to do this in my life. Heavenly Father, you know, and I'm going to ask the band to come up or some, some people to get ready for the end. Heavenly Father, you know my situation. Now, look at what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you, God, fix it. Heal me, bless me, all of that. Today I'm asking for wisdom. Because the moment you get wisdom, that's attached to the healing. 
The moment you get wisdom, it's attached to the power. The moment you get wisdom, it's attached to the result. Speak to me and I will obey and place my life under the power of your wisdom. Now for some it may be read a book. For another it may be confess a sin. To another it may be go let them check your blood. Go, I, mean, I don't know. I mean it's just wisdom. But your heavenly father will download the wisdom. Why won't God let it be a formula? Because if it's a formula, we lose the relationship. And he loves you asking him for his wisdom. Not just telling him your problems. And being desperate when you pray. So today, Father, we stand here in this room now. Would you stand up with me? Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.